and welcome to Sunny D, the ponderings of a black, polyamorous, pansexual polymath. That would be me, D-Ray. I talk about relationships, relationshiping, intersectionality, tea, and a whole lot of other shit. Let's get on with the show. All right, so today on What's the Tea? We're going to be talking about one of my favorite winter teas, and that is Winter Wake Up. It's a Trader Joe's tea, and it is pretty delicious. Its defining characteristic is cinnamon. This tea is basically just black tea with a whole bunch of cinnamon ground into it, and it is delicious. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it because the cinnamon is just really, really strong. It's just a very strong spice cinnamon tea and it feels really, really good to drink at all times, but really in the winter, it gets you into that, you know, winter spirit. Um, but since we're talking about cinnamon and today we're talking about sex on this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of cinnamon. Um, it has a pretty long history. It's been referenced in Chinese writing all the way back to 2800 BC. Worth even more than silver because it was believed to have aphrodisiac properties. It actually has caused wars due to high demand. Um, traditional cinnamon known as um, Ceylon cinnamon is produced currently in Sri Lanka and was held in a monopoly by the Dutch until England eventually took over the territory after winning for France because, of course, yeah. Um, you can use cinnamon, yes, to add spice, but also if you put a stick of cinnamon in your tea, it helps like give it a little bit of sweetness, like a little bit of spicy sweetness. Um, cinnamon has also been used in history to purify and sanctify both spiritual spaces and the body because even now today it's still used to treat like upset stomach, nausea, and vomiting, that kind of stuff. I do use cinnamon in my religious practice and um, yeah, it for pretty much those reasons for purification and, and uh, sanctifying spaces. And I also use cinnamon a lot to relax myself and to love myself. And you know, I have a lot of partners <laughs> and I'm pretty sure all of them will tell you I take my alone time seriously I schedule that shit put it on the calendar because I need it and tea is one of the ways that I use to slow down and reflect and just taking some time sometimes in my alone time whenever I'm feeling a little sensual to get a little tea throw a stick of cinnamon in it dress in a sexy comfortable comfortable piece of lingerie and just breathe in the calming aroma of tea and cinnamon it just reminds me that i'm precious and worthy of being loved just for simply existing so yeah um there's also this really really great cinnamon tea from um just add honey which is a black owned tea company i can't remember the name of the tea shoot i just thought about it also because i'm wearing one of my favorite shirts from them is a teapot, and in the middle of it, it says pothead. Very great shirt. I also recommend you go get that. I'll put the um, link for both the Trader Joe's tea and the Just Add Honey tea and shirt in the show notes. 
Hey y'all. Um, today, instead of raise rent and raise, I wanted to give y'all a lot of the goodness that I had on this episode. Today's episode, I'm very excited. We have our first guest of the show. Yes. Today we're going to be talking about sex. It has to be a multi-parter. We got to split it up. So there will be a let's talk about sex part two in the future with maybe the same guest, maybe a different guest. We shall see. This first one, we're going to be touching on dismantling internalized stigma, combating wrong assumptions about ethical non-monogamy and sex because yeah, boo-boo, we got it. Um, And some of the basics of safer sex mitigation techniques and conversations that you can have. Um, some, I think we talk less about like here are all the steps you need to take and more about encouraging creativity in the love life. Next time we'll talk more about, you know, uh, safer sex mitigation techniques. Anyways, so today joining me is special guest Alex Rich, a fellow queer Southerner <laughs> like me, who is a sex educator, a sexuality and relationship coach and therapist, yes, boo, and the creator of Sexology Bay. This is a blog giving cultural critique and commentary related to sex, sexuality, health, and relationships. And um, I have been following Alex for a while on Twitter, and this episode actually came because of a Twitter conversation in which Alex replied to me and said, hey, if you ever need a guest on your show, let me know because this is the shit I like to talk about. And I was like, email because yes, we do want the guest on the show. So I'm really excited that it's Alex. And so with that introduction, y'all, we just gonna go right into the show. (laughs) Oh, also, there was a lot of content for this, so there would definitely be a substantial bonus episode that will eventually be put on the Patreon. And it's just really us kikiing it up because because we do. That's what we do. Anyways, here we go. Let's get on with the show. I hope y'all enjoy. We are here and we are ready. We are All ready. right. So, Alex. I'm super happy to have you on the show because I've been following you <laughs> for a little bit. And so whenever I posted my little thing and you were like, oh, let me know if you want any guests on the show. I was like, is it happening? It's happening. Yay. <laughs> if you could tell everybody a little bit about yourself, a little spiel. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I'm Alex um, and the sexual education world you may know me as sexology bay that's the name of the blog i've been running since 2017 2018 um but overall who am i i am a sexuality writer and educator mental health therapist and consultant and a sex relationship coach i've been doing sex ed work since 2014 when i was an undergrad um and i kind of funneled that into my blog that I started right when I graduated in 2017, forayed that into, um, you know, it's a couple of years doing that work, mostly via social media and stuff like that. Um, And last August, I graduated with my master's in social work. And so I'm a licensed master social worker in the state of Texas. So I've been a therapist for like six, six ish months now. So I've been able to start integrating that work 
um, into my sex that works. It's really exciting, really, um, really fulfilling to open up that new dimension of um, sexual education, right? Being able to integrate my mental health knowledge with my sex ed knowledge. Yeah, that's pretty much me. That's super cool. Did you always like want to do this? Um, (laughs) No. So (laughs) it's so funny. I wanted to be an environmental scientist. Oh, cool. And I realized that the hard sciences were not, like they weren't taking into account enough of the human elements. Um, I switched to environmental studies, which is like the liberal arts side of environmental science. Okay. Realized that was a little too white for me. Um, (laughs) Real white. And ended up, long story short, I switched my major like six times. By the time I graduated, I graduated with my bachelor's in sociology and Africana studies. By that point, I did know that I wanted to become a therapist. I had initially wanted to go to law school. Wow. And the, the, the law school to therapist pipeline is real. My mom knew, tried a connection in the DA's office in Baton Rouge. And I spent a summer working with the ADA for domestic violence cases. And that was like a big passion area of mine. I worked with a nonprofit in New Orleans working with domestic violence survivors. And so I was like, I could do this work. I couldn't do that work. Court was boring as hell. It was just too rigid for me, right? But they also had an in-house social worker who helped counsel them, who helped connect them to housing, um, financial assistance and stuff like that. And so I shadowed her and I was like, I like what you do. Yay. It's a very long and complicated story how I got here. My Greek experience actually spurred me to create my blog because I was having a lot of the same conversations with my line sisters. I was the, I was like the, you know, like the, okay. I feel like if you're a sex educator or even an affiliated with the field, you were that friend who everybody came to with questions, who had the yeah. conversations. Yep. I was that person doing a lot of this work to help dispel a lot of the internalized shame, right? Cause we're all black. We were all raised religious and we all yep. have that like same sense of internalized shame about sex and sexuality and this is actually relevant to the conversation this is how I got into my blog because I was like at that time I wasn't seeing a lot of people like my age who were having sexuality conversations in digital spaces who were Mm -hmm. again my age who were black yeah black is is key here and um and had specific like that's a southern lens on it right because my southernness informed not only the way I interacted with religion, but also my formal sex education that I received in school, yes. which was non-existent. So I did a lot of self-study to get to this point, right? And I joined, like I joined an on-campus organization to do peer health education. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a national organization that did advocacy work. And that was how I got a lot of the knowledge that I had. And again, I supplemented that with self-study from like, you know, just like other resources, mostly mm-hmm. Scarlet Team, highly recommend, even for adults. And, um, and so I was just like, you know what, like, I'm, you know, I was like, we, as like a group of young black women, we're not the only people having these conversations or having these questions. I I just want to put it out there, you know, like, these are the things that we're thinking about and talking about. And that was how Sexology Bay was born. And it's kind of gone from there. And it's been an interesting journey in like, it's so sometimes I go back and like read my old posts for like when I started, I'm like, wow, I don't think that way anymore. You know, like yes, to see how, yes. how I've grown as a person. Um, Cause I think when I first started, I don't think I was like 
openly out as bisexual and thinking again thinking about that now and I was yeah. not monogamous I was not non-monogamous at the time mm. so it's been a it's really interesting kind of journey and process to revisit that. and I don't blog as much anymore I'll be honest like at the beginning of COVID I was doing a lot of videos and stuff on Instagram now it's mostly like one-on-one like mm-hmm. coaching consultant work that I do just because yeah. Time. I don't have yeah. <laughs> just hours anymore to sit around and make and edit Instagram videos. But um, I do miss content creation. I will say that. But I want to get back into it in some form. But I do. I really have found the most fulfilling part of this work has been in my one on one work. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As a fellow Southerner <laughs> that. Um, so I had same sex experiences in middle school and high school but like even into college I was like I'm not bisexual girls are fun and that's what they're for and especially being religious (laughs) growing up in the southern church and then me joining a Christian sorority and then I started dating a dude that was in the organization and every time we had sex like he would low-key like be so sad and we had to pray together and we've never had condoms Girl, when I say I used to ran rap before, I am ashamed of those days. But that was me, 19 through 22. Yeah. So this is, I'm laughing, but this is also so real, right? Like this just, I'm not going to say this mirrors my exact experience, but it, 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 there's a lot of parallels here, right? I remember the first time I had sex. I cried. I was like, I'm going to hell. I'm not pure. Mm. I said I was going to wait till I was married. Like, I remember having a breakdown. Like, and that's not normal. Right? You know, like, that should, I mean, well, it's normal, but it shouldn't be. Like, that should not be how people can, like, have their formative experiences with sex. It should not be couched in the shame and the distress and I remember praying to God to like please get rid of this like lustful spirit man because I liked it and I was like (laughs) you know but it it took years for me to like stop feeling shame for having I yes and no okay okay I had sex right around the first time like right around the time I lost my religion honestly which I'm sure goes hand in hand um I just don't feel like interrogating that any more deeply yeah <laughs> but, um it was not too long after my grandmother who was basically my second parent had passed away so just a lot of grief anyway um and kind of you know I, I went through that whole just like process of just like I it's not that I don't believe in God anymore but like I, I gotta reevaluate my relationship mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. God right um but there was still just a lot of that internalized like shame right a lot of that internalized yeah. purity culture this idea that I was less valuable that nobody would want to marry me yeah that, you know that again I was just like less of a person because I had sex and like I, I, just at some point when I got to college I met this amazing group of people um all queer um all black and they just gave me so much validation and love that just really helped me overcome and unpack a lot of that. Yeah. Right. That helped me accept myself as being queer. Cause it's funny. I convinced myself I was straight for most of my life. But like the first person I ever kissed in a romantic context was my best friend when I was like 10. Right. 
Like, but I was straight. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but we straight but, <laughs> but I'm straight. No, right? And so, so right, and like, what I realized is that friend group, and we're still friends now, um, they just gave me permission. They just gave me permission to be myself. And that sounds so cheesy, but all of the things that I was like, am I that person for wanting this or thinking this? And they're like, no, just like, go for it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. You know, and, and I realized that I wanted to become that person to other people. Like I wanted to be, if you are seeking permission to be who you are, to want what you want, to like what you like, provided it's ethical, mm-hmm. I should specify. Yeah. Like don't, don't be out here touching kids and shit. Yeah. But you know what, like whatever you're into, if it's non-normative, that's okay. Yeah. A lot of the narratives that we've been taught are designed to make us feel this guilt and this shame to keep us subjugated, right? Like who wins when we internalize all this guilt and shame around sex and sexuality? Exactly. Yep. Just asking those questions and pushing back on it. And I'm not saying that everybody has to go out and like, you know, be outside, have a whole face. Well, but I'm not saying that if that's not what you want to do, then don't. But it's also okay if you do. Right. Exactly. And that was that was kind of the core, the crux of what sexology bay was and still is. And again, now in my work, I mostly work with young black women in one-on-one coaching who come from religious backgrounds who have a lot of internalized shame yeah. and guilt around sex and healthy. I love that. It. It's, yes. it's it's nice. It's it's again, it's so it helps me remember why I do this work every time I talk to them. I needed this. I I got this. And I'm glad that I'm able to be in a position that I can be that to someone yes. else who needs it. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's been a journey. That's wonderful. I'm here for the come up. Let's bring everybody up with us. Yes. Exactly. Um, so you touched on this before, but I wanted to like explicitly ask, what is your current relationship style in configuration? I'm I'm polyamorous, but I realize as of now. My current relationship configuration is polyandrous. Like all of my partners are dudes right now. <laughs> and I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> it is not for, look, it is not for lack of effort on my part. <laughs> it is not for lack of trying. I promise you. Just the girls are a lot more harder to get. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, it's so funny because like, I have a bunch of people who I'm talking to, yeah. but none that I feel like I could consider a partner or anything. But so all the, only the people, the only people that I consider partners right now are dudes. I was like, I hate that for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I have a husband. Um, I have two other guys that I consider partners. Um, I'm trying to make sure my numbers are right. So I don't get in trouble if somebody hears this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, in your practice and everything, mm-hmm. what are some common misconceptions that you see that people generally have about sex and sexual health? I would say the biggest misconception um, that that I see a lot about sex is, um, you know, it's the idea that like sex devalues you. And what I've seen interestingly is this idea that um, in, in conversations with men, especially which has been a new dimension of my practice and which is really cool. Um, I got my first male sex therapy client earlier this year. And it's really interesting working with him. Um, 
that the idea that like sex with women as a woman, mm-hmm. sex with women isn't as risky or um, damaging to mm-hmm. your to your value, right? It's like yeah. it's, it's for con. So what I'll say is that this particular person is married. And while they're not non-monogamous, he's okay with his wife having sex with other women. But he's like, she can't have sex with other men. And she's not okay with me having sex with other women. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) This is why one of these policies exists because it's like the penis makes the sex. It's the most important part of the sex body. And so anything that doesn't include the penis is okay and it it doesn't mean as much and like you said it doesn't devalue you it doesn't like hurt it doesn't I don't know it's not as dirty I guess like this is really what that I've seen that too yes and that (laughs) one that one gets me and 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 it's also frustrating to kind of hear from women who are like and okay you're allowed to like what you like right but you'll hear from women who are like, oh, I don't mind having sex with women, but I would never date one because, and all their reasons for not dating women are incredibly like misogynistic. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean women are too emotional? Like, what do you, like, what does that mean? You know? Real men are the most emotional beings that I have ever. Let's discuss. My relationships with men, Lord have mercy. Those are the ones that, like, those are the ones that put you in the emotional blender. All my relationships with trans folk and with mm-hmm. uh, with non-binary folk, <laughs> mm-hmm. bro, has been so calm in comparison. <laughs> to, right. And this is where I have those moments of like having to check myself as a professional, right? Because I'm like, okay, we need to, like before we unpack, you know, your relationship with women, we need to understand, like we need to get to the root of why you feel that mm-hmm. women are inherently more emotional like where that's coming from and kind of like why you feel like that doesn't apply to you you know because that's what always gets me when especially when women espouse like these like misogynistic like this misogynistic rhetoric that's used against them it's like why do you feel like you're the exception to the rule and it's like if you don't why are you not interrogating that either you know it's like what, okay so you're yeah. like oh i'm dramatic I'm emotional. I can't keep control of my emotions, blah, blah, blah. Like, so it's like, why? Like, why are you at your big age still acting like a teenager? You know, yeah. it's, it's a very interesting, um, like, it's a very interesting thing that I run into, especially working with, and, like, working with um, queer women specifically. Mm-hmm. But in general, the, mis- the biggest misconception is, like, the internalized purity culture, right? Yeah. The idea that things like body count matters, or soul ties are real and sexually transmitted mental illness oh yeah yeah (laughs) my face i'm like child like i mean i guess that's the same thing as whenever my folks used to be like you can't say everybody because you're gonna get their spirits it's literally like the woo-woo version of the same bullshit we heard in church growing up okay yeah and that's what pisses me off but yeah it's like that idea that like oh, you have sex with everybody walking and you wonder why you're depressed. Maybe I'm depressed because my, 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 my mind is, you know, missing some things. Right, it's like, everybody I, else I'm a hoe. Right, it's like, <laughs> depressed because I'm a hoe. Have you seen outside? Like, right. That's, a, that's why I'm depressed. The hoeing <laughs> is helping my depression. 
is giving me some needed like <laughs> serotonin. serotonin. Shit. Dopamine and serotonin. The <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but it's so fascinating. Treatment. <laughs> As a mental oh, health Oh, it is my treatment plan. Okay. Exactly. As a mental health professional. I can openly suggest sex as a treatment for depression and anxiety. There we go. See, you have to hear people. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, but it's it's so fascinating, right? To see the woo-woo-ification of church rhetoric. And people be dead ass. And I'm like, y'all make my head hurt. Yeah. So like, I feel like every, every other month, every three months, I'm like, soul ties aren't real. And here's why. You know, like people are like, oh, I have soul ties with this person and that's why I can't let them go. I'm like, no, you can't let them go because you have boundary issues. Like, yeah. And you, yeah. you know, like you're refusing to take accountability and blaming it on spirit. There we that's, go. Yeah. Leave, yeah. Like, leave spirit out of it. This is on you. Me. Know, and I, I know that the answer to this is yes. <laughs> but like, because I was going to say, is there a difference? I know that there is. But like, why? Do you think there's such a difference in this perspective and the framing around this topic like specifically in the black community versus the non-black community because i feel like whenever i hear white people talk about this stuff they don't really talk about soul ties and stuff like that they do talk about i mean some of their they they still have the purity culture but even like the Mm -hmm. church folk even like the you know the 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 white church folk Mm -hmm. i feel like aren't as bad they don't use this same language they don't like sex before marriage is bad Mm -hmm. and you know the more sex that you have as a woman especially makes you Mm -hmm. nervous Mm -hmm. but they don't do the whole like soul ties Mm -hmm. the spiritual attachment yeah yeah i feel like i don't hear that as much i think a lot of that has to do and this is a wild guess like sorry if i'm wrong anybody who knows the answer for a fact but to me I think that's indicative of our like connection whether we are aware of it or otherwise to like ancestral spiritual traditions right yeah so that like because we know that if you grew up in a black church especially in the south there's so many elements of hoodoo of conjure in in church right like the Bible is used in conjure work, yep. right? Yep. Like those of us who do this work and who are aware of that work, we know the relationship between Black Christianity and African traditional religions. Yep. So to me, that connection, because it's a lot more um, like obvious still, and it is still very present, yep. you know, even, in our, even in our modern context of like church and religion, I think that's where we get a lot of this like spiritual influence, right? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of the, I I remember for me, what helped me connect the dots between conjure, you know, who you and Christian, like black Christianity was realizing a lot of the things that I considered or I was taught were like superstitions were actually part of conjure. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep. You know, it, it may be a little harder for us because we tie it so much into spirit to -hmm. let go Mm -hmm. of these misconceptions, to let go of the purity culture, to just let go of the shame and the guilt Mm -hmm. because we're like, it's, it's super, it it really has been framed as Mm -hmm. like super spiritual. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
super spiritual. It gets into your spirit. It's not just the body thing. It's mm-hmm. not just the mind thing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it just seems so much deeper, I guess. And what are what are ways that you use to help folks like dismantle the sick stigma that they have around sex? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I like to always do a kind of like a retrospective view with people. You know, I'm like, when is the first time you, you know, like experienced a sexual thought and how did that feel? Like, how did that make you feel? You know, did anything in particular prompt? And I will say, this is, this is my approach to people who have not experienced like childhood sexual trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like your first experience with sex was abuse. That's an entirely different conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But for people who did not, um, you know, it's like, when basically, when was the first time you were aware of your sexuality? And when was the first time you felt guilt or shame for it? Because those two experiences normally go together. And understanding when, like, when and how those two became, understanding when sexuality and shame became coalesced in your, like, personal history is to me has always been the great starting point to understand like, okay, I'm starting to see the lies. I'm starting to see the jig, right? I'm starting Mm -hmm. to see where I began to make these connections. Now, how do I dismantle them? Yeah. Right. And a lot of it, it, it's not even work with me, right? A lot of it is internal work. A lot of it is personal work. A lot of it is reflection work, right? Because it starts with understanding or asking yourself, what is the relationship that you want with your sexuality? You know, like what kind of sexual being do you want to be? And if that is a person who, you know, feels sexually free to like do what you want within, of course, the boundaries of consent and safety and all that. Cool. If you want to be a person who exercises more restraint for personal reasons, cool. You know, let's unpack what you know like what you feel this restraint gives you and you know like let's un- let's just make sure we're unpacking and we're contextualizing all of these desires within our larger our larger desires right but i was saying all this to say that doing the work of unpacking shame it it takes a long time i'm not even gonna lie right because it requires confronting a lot of painful memories, even without abuse, right? We all have at least one memory or association with sex that is couched in embarrassment, that is couched in shame, that is, again, painful to revisit, but only by revisiting, in my experience, can we begin that process of self-forgiveness? Because that's really where it starts. Like, you have to forgive yourself, for all of the times for internalizing that shame, for downing yourself, right? For considering yourself less worthy or less than because of your sexual desires or your sexual needs. Getting to that point of self-forgiveness, that's the hardest, like that's the most like entrenched. That's, you know, from a spiritual perspective, you could consider that shadow work. Mm -hmm. Like that's the ugly part of it where you, it's you and yourself. Yeah. And you were, you are peeling those layers back and it hurts and it sucks and you hate it. But when you are through it, you 
just feel so different, right? You can tell that your relationship to sex and sexuality is going to be different because you, you've, you've seen through it, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're past the illusions. Like, you're like, okay, cool. I may not have, you know, the perfect sex life, the ideal sex life that I want for myself, but I'm aware of what I do value and don't value within my yeah. sex life and within my yeah. sexuality. And again, I'm using sex life very broadly here because I am aware that there are asexual people who do not desire sex at all. And that is still a part of this work, right? Yeah. To, you know, to get it up because we do live in a very sex driven society and asexual people experience discrimination and experience shame and embarrassment yeah. oh, for yeah. not wanting sex. Right. And I want to make sure that we're also validating that when I say like, you know, I prioritize sexual liberation, sexual freedom. That includes people who do not desire sex. Yeah. And whether you're a sexual or just, you know, don't want it. Right. Um, So this is something that I hear all of the time. And one is that because you're non-monogamous, you are at higher risk of STIs and everybody's just running around with the STI. And... (laughs) And I just I just looked at the invisible camera. Right, right. Um, and so and there then I to that is folks who may feel like that but still want to be nominogs and they're more so mm-hmm. asking the question of like, well, what do I do? Because I have no clue. Like, am I supposed to just like ask everybody for their testing things? Am I supposed to have a rule that, you know, my primary can't have penetrative sex with other folks or have to use condoms with everybody but me? All of that. So I just wanted to talk about one, some misconceptions that folks have mm-hmm. about sexual health and sexual safety, mm-hmm. and then safer sex practices that actually make sense <laughs> that are practical <laughs> with what actually like what with what the research has shown to be true and not mm-hmm. just like word of mouth type shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I like how you said, am I supposed to ask everybody for their testing results as like something incredulous, but like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Am I supposed to do this thing? And I was like, I mean, that's what it takes for you to be. And then if somebody says no, then what? You just don't have sex with them. I'm sorry. Like you can just not have sex with people. (laughs) Y'all. Believe it or not. Like you can just not have sex with people. Right. Like, I think because the idea is that, oh, non-monogamous people are like so selfish that they can't commit to one person. They're also not taking anyone else's like boundaries or safety into account either. Right. Like that's to me mm-hmm. where that idea comes from that non-monogamous people like I said, are more prone to. Yeah. Um, like I'm going to have to find this study that I found. Um, it was a small study because people mm-hmm. aren't really studying this, but there was a study that said that actually non-monogamous people are less prone because the frequency in which they get tested and talk about sexual health stuff, as mm-hmm. well as a lot of monogamous people cheat and they don't tell nobody. And so then stuff spreads because of that. That's um, like, that's actually the key, <laughs> right? Like, that's, I was just about to get to, that was kind of going to be you know, like the piece yeah. what I was going to say, it's like, when we're talking about, I, I think we should also clarify some definitions for the audience. When we are talking about non-monogamy. We are talking about ethical non-monogamy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because cheating is a form of non-monogamy that is 
clearly not ethical, right? Because there's no communication involved. There's no boundary setting. There's no communication of those set boundaries because they don't exist. Right. So when we're talking about ethical non-monogamy, these are converse, like conversations are happening, right? Frequently. It, it, It obviously comes down to like that particular person and what makes them feel safe. But one, I am an advocate of any person that is sexually active getting tested ideally quarterly. Yes. Same. Like regardless of relationship status, if you are having sex with anyone other than yourself, you should be getting tested quarterly. Like that's just, that that's the standard, but I understand that like insurance is, you know, sticky free testing resources are hard to come by and things like that. But if I do know at the least, if you go to a gynecologist, they will offer STI testing there. So like, if you go to a gynecologist, that's at least one year tests per that's year. That's actually, personally, I think it's two year, two uh, a year because the way that mm-hmm. I do it to get my two free testings a year, guys, is mm-hmm. I have my regular primary care mm-hmm. doctor appointment at one time, right? And I mm-hmm. ask them for STI testing and I say, can you put in, like put everything. I was like, put everything in there, including um, HSV because a lot of places won't test. They don't test for HSV, yeah, because stigma. stigma. Yeah. So I was like, can you, can you please do that? And then six months later is when I schedule my gynecologist appointment. So I have at least between, like if I can't get the other testing, the three months in between. Mm-hmm. Like, at least two weeks. At two. I never thought about asking a primary care doctor. That's oh, really yeah, smart. they will. They only, I mean, they only do the stuff that you can run blood tests for. But of course, for but most like, of them, you can. Right. No, that's again, that's I never considered it because yeah. I will say I'm fortunate to live in a big city where free STI testing is like pretty yeah. readily available. So I get my one at, you know, my gyno visit, I can go to like Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and get another one generally for free. And then I kind of finesse, you know, free resources to kind of couple, yeah, to kind of make the gaps um, as needed. Because again, like, yes, we, again, ideally it should be three months. In reality, it doesn't always work out like that for people. You know, I think that non-monogamous people we are like we're aware we're we're, because we are aware that there there's more pieces so therefore the risk is on paper higher we are a lot more intentional about maintaining a pretty strict testing regimen discussing those results with partners that we're having sex with Mm -hmm. and things like that and it's unfortunate that people feel like they can't have these conversations without coming off as weird because it should be no it should again, regardless of your relationship status or context, like you should be able to ask a potential sexual partner, like, hey, when is the last time you were tested? Like, yeah. Do you have those results readily available? Like, can we talk about it? Because it should not be seen as weird to want to go into a, a situation with full context, right? Exactly. You know, like, I actually was trying this dude was trying to date me and I asked him that question. And he was like, Well, um, I actually knew him from the swinging scene. So I knew that like in the past he had gotten tested mm-hmm. regularly. And mm-hmm. so he was like, Oh yeah. Um, I actually haven't gotten tested for a few years, but you, as you know, like I stopped swinging around the same time you did. And so it's only been me and my wife. And so, you know, whatever. And so I, I personally, because I knew his, I knew his, I know his wife very personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know his wife very personally. 
Um, and I was like, well, you got tested sometime after that. Like you continue getting tested, like let's say a year after you stopped at the swing scene. And then now mm-hmm. y'all not. I would mm-hmm. accept that and might mm-hmm. do things with you as long as you go back to getting tested regularly. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I was like, oh, well, I remember you told me about some this woman you were dating. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We ended up doing some stuff. You're right. Oh, and then there was this other person. Like, see, and I'm like, homie. It's like now we have a problem, right? Homie. Like now it, you, it's not. See, a- this is why I ask follow-up questions. Because people be saying stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know what? No. That was that was the experience where I was like, you know, I'm not giving nobody no leeway. I'm just gonna be like, Oh, you haven't had a recent test, and I'm sorry. You not I'm not even it. sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just I'm gonna tell y'all, I'm not sorry at all because I am the person that whenever before I left my ex-husband, um, I found out he was having sex with other folks without barriers. And I said, mm-hmm. Yes, where the condom with now. And he went around and told everybody shit about me. He was like, mm-hmm. My wife insists that we wear condom. She makes me put on a condom with her. And I was like, Well, yeah. You is fucking random people raw, my my dude. Like, come on now. <laughs> I don't know like, what come on you, now. What, what do you, you think that was? Also, this is my body. If I don't want your penis going inside of me without no hat on, then that's my decision. You're like, that's fine. Like, I can do that. Like, just because we're married doesn't doesn't mean nothing. Unfettered access to my vagina. As you can tell, this is why we're not married. I'm gonna say the next. So clearly had some <laughs> issues. It, Right. But, right. I think, it, and what I will also find so fascinating, and by fascinating, I mean annoying as hell, is that a lot of guys who are partnered, they basically rely, let's uh, assuming that they're partnered with a woman, they rely on their partner's testing. Yes. Like, okay. Well, if we're having raw sex and you're getting tested consistently, then I should also. I don't need to get tested, bro. No. Go no. Ahead. That's not how this works. <laughs> like technically, yes, but like no, just no. I like don't. no, because you should know for yourself. Also, things have different incubation periods. Um, I also want to talk about some barriers beyond condoms, people, because condoms is not the only thing that you can, you know, use as for barriers. And when I say that, what I mean is, all right, so. <laughs> I'm right, thinking I'm, about your saran wrap. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh man. No, that's not. That's not what I meant. I know. <laughs> I, that's just, that. that's don't just use saran wrap, people. Um, don't I mean, please. Just, just, just don't. Okay. Um, so I have HSV, and so I do certain acts with some partners that have a mm-hmm. lower risk tolerance than, and mm-hmm. some partners have higher risk tolerance because mm-hmm. they are immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. So. With some partners, I use dental dams. There's mm-hmm. real cute little panties called laurels who technically have not been 100% um, tested, whatever the board is that tests contraceptives. Um, what are the contraceptives? Yes. Um, the FDA? The FDA. They're in the middle of being there. I don't know, but whatever it is, I, I, I follow their website. They're in the middle of, um, I've never heard of them. and they haven't. they haven't gotten the final thing yet. They're still testing for them to like, to make sure that they're, you know, as like, like condoms, they're as mm-hmm. STI resistant and can prevent it. But laurels mm-hmm. are, I have used them. They're great. Um, and they're like underwear. Yeah. They're underwear. Mm. You can use them for other things too. Like they say on their website, like, yeah, if you just got the gym and somebody want to do a little something, something, but you like, I'm funky. Just put them, <laughs> you put them on and they're super stretchy. 
Um, I got a pair and, uh, my, you know, like I, I, I've, I've, I've given them to folks of different body types and they mm-hmm. have worked on them. So yay. Um, also gloves. Yes. If you want to, to do that gloves, I had a partner where he, we wear condoms. Yes. But he will also wear his boxers still whenever mm-hmm. we had sex with the condom on top of it to so make sure that there's no skin mm-hmm. in contact. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never had an outbreak, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. did that to be careful because he had two partners that were immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of time HSV spreads with skin shedding. It's, yeah. Like yeah. skin So I find that really interesting. I, um, to my knowledge, do not, you know, I've been tested for HSV, don't have yeah. it, but I've, I've found it. I find it that it's always very interesting to have that conversation. I mean, I'm going to kind of flip this on you. How do you have that conversation, you know, with a partner or potential partner? Like, because I, okay. So I'll say it like this. There was someone who I was planning to have sex with and they told me they had HSV. And I ended up not having, and it's not because they had HSV, it's just because the timing. Yeah. I was, you know, I was on vacation. So like we had a limited amount of time and it just didn't work out. But I found that interest, like, how do you have that conversation? How do you, I guess, assuage a partner's concerns about um, HSV? And, and I will say this, like, as someone who understands how it works, that like, yeah, yeah. Fun, you know, fundamentally, it's not the biggest deal in the world is how I'll say, you know? So I guess you could say in that regard, I do have a higher risk tolerance than maybe someone else who isn't as, you know, educated or just like as aware. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So um, it's one of two things. So Mm -hmm. I have a, um, I'm a chronic friend dater. (laughs) I, you're a menace. I know. I but we stay friends afterwards if 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 it don't work out. So mm-hmm. you know, yay. But um, I think it's just because I'm low key lazy, and so like I don't go dating nuts. I don't really go out and like hit on folks or whatever. It just kind of like I'm feeling you, you feeling me, and mm-hmm. we've known each other for like some months, and so we just been friends, whatever. Um, this actually happened very recently where it was like a friend asked me, it was like, oh, let's have dinner together, whatever. And I was like, is this as a friend date or as like a <laughs> date? And they were like, I didn't know that was an option. But since it's an option, I'm like screaming. <laughs> you were so <laughs> I find that as, I find that a very interesting conversation, too, because, you know, people are like, oh, you can't be friends with someone and have sex with them. I'm like, I completely disagree. I, I completely and Not even from like a, oh, you have to become like friends with benefits. It's like, no, like you're just friends and you just occasionally have sex. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's very, it's always one of those conversations that every time it comes across Twitter, like I never engage in it because I'm just like, y'all don't understand. Like, y'all, you're, y'all don't get what I'm trying to communicate. Yeah, because y'all don't care to, but I advocate for friends having sex. Um, but yeah, so um, I <clears throat> I have this document, my manifesto, and it's basically like, if you want to be my partner, here's some things you should know about me. Oh, um, cool. yeah, and so I have it at the very bottom. I talk about STI, my risk tolerance testing, things that mm-hmm. I would want or whatever. Um, and I and I have it there. I was like, I have HSV. Here are some fun facts about it, and I have like mm-hmm. bullet points. Da, 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 da. 
And I do that person and I do that in person if it's somebody that I'm less friendly with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like my friends would be more likely to read this document, this mm-hmm. big ass Google document. It's <laughs> some random. You know. This is just very queer. I don't know. Having a sex document to send is so queer. Like that's yeah. all I can just say. That's just very queer. Yeah. I don't I don't really have an explanation. But uh, but uh yeah, so in and then in person I'll say that. I'll say, Oh, are you interested in me? This is something you should know about me. And I mm-hmm. say everything. I'm like I talk about, you know, these, this is my, um, testing. This is the results of my last test. Um, and then of course I disclose then <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have to be shows up on every test, you mm-hmm. know, this is my, the, the current count. I've never had an outbreak. Um, this means this may or may not mean this. Um, here's the most recent like research about HSV that they have. Here's how mm-hmm. it's spread. Here mm-hmm. are things, ways to mitigate you getting it because I take a, a, a um oral pill every like day mm-hmm. to like it minimizes outbreaks and it mm-hmm. minimizes somebody else contracting it so I to, it's so funny I got shingles once fun fact okay yeah um and people don't know that but shingles the chicken pox virus is a type yep. of herpes and I didn't know that either until they prescribed me Valtrex I was yep. like where have I heard that before and I was like that was those fucking commercials from the early 2000s for herpes mm-hmm. and I was like and, I mean and I was a lot less evolved in my understanding of STIs and so I was like not people won't think I have herpes because I'm like, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's basically um, the conversation that mm-hmm. I have. Um, and uh, so far, it's worked out okay. Like the people that have super, super, I, I don't think that in person, I've mm-hmm. had anybody have a super, super, like really negative, shamey reaction. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. on like threads and polyam groups because mm-hmm. people bring this up and I'm like, here am I, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind disclosing this to the mm-hmm. to the world. It's whatever. And I've had negative, like, mm-hmm. crazy shit then. But, like, in person, folks are just like, oh, wow, I didn't know any of that. And they either decide to proceed with certain precautions mm-hmm. or not. And mm-hmm. for me, it's like, that's fine. And also, there are plenty of things that a person can do that is sensual or sexual that do not include (laughs) touching my genitals (laughs) it's so fascinating right because I feel like people think that taking like sexual precautions or you know anything beyond a condom is like weird or not sexy it's like I don't know if you've ever used an internal condom before I did a lot in college because they were available. And at the time, I didn't realize it at the time that I had a latex sensitivity. So like Ooh. every single time I was using latex condoms, I was getting BB and I did not know why. <laughs> um, so internal condoms, for those of y'all who aren't familiar, it's like a bigger condom that you use your fingers to put inside of the other person's body. They can be used um, rectally or vaginally. But it's like, it was a little, you know, like it was awkward to like take because it's it's huge. It looks like a bag almost, right? But like, you know, you get the person warmed up, right? 
and you put it in, you know, using your fingers to still do what you want to do now that things are protected, right? And just like getting over that initial awkwardness of something like an internal condom or using gloves when you are like, okay, so you see my hands now. Yeah. This is the shortest my nails have been in years. I am known for having long nails. That's my thing. I keep acrylic. Um, you know, using gloves with um, like one of my previous female partners, right? That was a new experience for both of us because we both had long nails, but we were still like, we were trying to do what to do. So, yeah. you know, um, but I will also say having used gloves and, and like not use like the people are like, oh my God, your nails are so long. That probably hurts. It, it doesn't. Like when you're properly lubricated, like things feel fine. <laughs> like it- As a person who does knife play and have had knives in my pussy, yeah, it's. <laughs> I need to have, we, I need, we, I, we need to. It's need very to scary <laughs> and you gotta be like, let me be calm. That's true. So you don't clinch around it yeah. and slice your vagina open. Around it and they put it in right and then they take it out right. It's very exhilarating. And then you're very, very aroused afterwards. Because right, that's what I'm saying. Like, vaginas are very, what's the word? Um, like, substantial. Yeah. Like, like it, it's not, it takes a lot, kind of, to fuck one up. You know, they're literally built to push out human beings. Yeah. So, like, your little fingers, your nails, your dick. You like, got, your, as long as you got, as long as the shit is clean. Exactly. <laughs> as long as the things that you are putting inside of it are clean, are clean. You're not going to do the damage you think you are. Yeah. Like, Again, I've had, you know, a finger, fingers with, you know, two inch acrylics inside of me and it was fine. Yeah. Right. I know some people, not only do they put the gloves in, if you have long nails, some people put cotton balls underneath oh, yeah. the nail. Especially if you have the uh, stiletto nails. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. So I, I think the barrier conversation where it's, it's only as awkward as you make it. Right. Yeah. If you and this person are like, this is what it will take for us to both feel good, feel confident, feel comfortable. You get, you just get over it. People make these like really like hypotheticals that sound awkward and uncomfortable. I mean, like, oh, you mean like in order to ask for consent, I have to be like, hey, do you consent to have sex with me? It's like, no. It's like, do you want me to do this thing? Right. It's, it's right? like it's actually very sexy when done right. Right? If I if you look, baby, if you is kissing me and then in touch of, and and you're like, Can I take your panties off? I'm gonna be like, like yes, like you know, if I wanted to you put would... that in my ear in the right like, phone, honey. The panties yes. are not themselves. They're, you know, they're <laughs> flying they're flying across the room. <laughs> you know, like it's not it's not this weird like robotic like clinical conversation right it's like yeah you're like you said when you do it in the right way and the right time like you said practice does make perfect so I'm sure I don't want to like I'm sure like from experience like yeah it is a little awkward to start but like when you get used to it you get used to it and it's not like it's just like it's not that clinical it's not yeah you know uncomfortable even if you're talking about it beforehand because like I, I talk a lot a lot about mm-hmm. yeah stuff um, mm-hmm. and risk tolerance levels and shit like that beforehand but yeah, you still 
bring it up and it doesn't have to be this serious conversation. I like to joke. Yeah, I be kikiing it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just be like, oh, well, you know, I like these things. I also mm-hmm. talk about that. It's like, oh, yes, I like oral sex. Do you like oral sex? Mm-hmm. And then if the person is like, yes, I'm like, well, what kind do you like? What do you mm-hmm. like people do to you? And then from that, it's just like, oh, okay, well, would you be comfortable doing that to me with what I have going on with the number of people that I'm having sex with? And it's like, no, it's like, okay, well, would you be comfortable doing that with me with the barrier? Mm-hmm. Cause let me tell you, y'all think that it's awkward. The first time I used a dental dam, I thought that it was, I haven't used one on a person. The first time it was used on me, I thought it was going to be super awkward. Mm-hmm. That was some of the best head I've gotten in my life. I'm not going to lie. It was great. And I've also, I've also given head with uh, condoms. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, especially if you got some like flavor condoms or something, or you can get over the, 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 the latex taste. But if you use a non-latex condoms, they don't even taste like nothing. So but what I will advise against, do not use them warming or cooling condoms. Oh, do not. Uh, Please, y'all. No. My mouth was so numb. It felt like I'd gone to the dentist. Please that was not. a terrible was like that was a that was like a rookie ass mistake. That was oh my god. Like I was Don't no. do that. <laughs> that shit that was terrible. Like that is I rarely tell people what to do and what not to do. I'm telling y'all, do not do not give oral sex with one of those warming, cooling condoms. Cause that shit oh. man, it, it literally felt like it, it tastes like Novocaine. Like that's how it is in your mouth. I was it was terrible. It was so bad. I was like, this is so awesome. I also I don't like warming, cooling, like no, don't put that anywhere near me. Like, like why? Why does it feel like a fire in my crotch? I do not like this. I don't like any I don't like either any of those. Like don't That's like right. my vagina is very sensitive. So like I'm very particular about the kind of loops that I use, very particular yeah. about the kind of condoms that I use. Like you just can't be coming up here with any just anything. Yeah. I'm telling I'm you no. Is like that. And she basically does like I don't know she does tests because sometimes it'll be irritating she's like I wonder Mm -hmm. why and she'll like okay well I'll stop having sex with this partner to see if it's still irritated okay Mm -hmm. wasn't them or the condoms they're using or the lube that they're using Mm -hmm. so I'll do this one and she like just breaks it down it's like a process of elimination process of elimination what is it that's irritating the cooch now because it has to be like the condoms the the soap the uh lube it has to be one of these things mm-hmm. so what is it and it's so interesting people don't often realize like it's normally the lube that's on the condoms i've ranted about so often that especially when it comes to like sexual health products or sexual wellness products the onus is like completely on the consumer to know these kinds of things like your average lube your ky astroglide stuff like that it's going to have like ingredients that while not damaging can be very irritating specifically glycerin glycerin is sugar you know what should not go into a vagina sugar (laughs) so like if you're using like a particular condom brand or a particular kind of lube and you're finding that you're always getting irritated look at the ingredients and that's what what's annoying is like often you like they won't list the lube ingredients on a condom so if a condom is lubricated it's really hard to find the ingredients of that lube. So generally to me, I'm like, if I'm using a particular condom brand and it's constantly irritating, I'm assuming it's a lube and I just can't use that condom anymore. So I advocate, I advocate for unlubricated condoms with a 
like, like with a good quality lubricant that mm-hmm. isn't irritating. Um, let's see. I just wanted to talk about real quick is when someone in within the polycule tests positive for an STI. Mm. Because I think that's another thing that people are like, don't know what to do. Like what happens if somebody tests positive for an STI? I would like to assume, right, that the person who has tested positive communicates that like, as soon as they find out, you know, they're just clear and open about it. And then that spurs the other people who have been with them. Because that's the thing, right? Regardless of whether you've used barriers or not with someone, if they test positive, oh, yeah, you, you, should, you should still go get tested. Right, go get tested. Like, just yeah. to, and Well, I mean, also making sure though, okay, because different STIs have different incubation periods. Mm-hmm. So if this person tested positive, you know, today, but you were just with them for the first time, maybe last week, depending on what they've tested positive for, you might need to wait. A little bit yeah, longer. That's true. Because certain things won't show up for a couple of weeks to a couple of months, right? So, and that's just to avoid you having to getting, get potentially getting a false negative, honestly. So you're not like wasting a trip. Yeah. Um, but the obviously the first step is to figure out, you know, what it was, like what it is, what they have, you know, you getting yourself tested after the recommended amount of time that is reasonable. And from there, seeking out appropriate treatments and things like that and communicating that now with your partners. There's a communication chain that now has to happen with the understanding that like when someone discloses, that is an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. That literally opens them up potentially to violence, Mm -hmm. especially depending on what the illness is. And that we are not going to engage in like shaming or stigmatizing behavior towards them Mm -hmm. because we're all adults. We knew what we were doing. We were getting involved. We know that literally, uh, aside from pregnancy, yeah, STIs are the other risk of having sex. Yeah, like we know that. And again, especially if you're in a polycule, where the the expectation is, the lines of communication are a lot more open. That's what it should be, right? Because yeah. again, at the end of the day, we're all grown ups. We knew what we were getting into. We knew that this was a risk. We knew that there was a chance that this could happen. So like you taking the steps to now, you know, manage your own health or whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And also supporting this person, right? Supporting this person who has disclosed. Because it's not easy. You know, you don't know how many people they have to tell. You don't know how everybody took it. Mm -hmm. You know, they may be feeling, they're probably feeling a lot of that internalized stigma and shame now that they have tested positive for whatever it is and have potentially passed it on to other people. There's definitely a level of guilt involved. And so we have to just remember that part of being like responsible, like sexual partners also includes some of that like heavier work, right? Yeah. Like the, the stuff that isn't as sexy because like that, that that's part of the risk, right? That's like part yeah. of the chance that we're taking when we're involved with multiple people is that sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations. It's not fun. It's not yeah. easy. And that person who found out that they were positive, you know, they probably, they need you, right? They need your support depending on your connection with them. If they're like a partner, like in also a relationship partner, they're definitely, you know, that's one thing, right? But if they're a little bit more casual, you may have to manage that differently, but it's not just a, just don't drop them like a hot potato. Is what I'm saying. It's not fair. Yeah. yeah, it is not fair. It's not fair. Cause it's no one's fault. Like, 
that, you know, getting, con contracting an STI or an STD, no matter what it is, it's not a moral failing. People, there's a lot of stigma around that. And we mm. can't, we do not have enough time to go into that. But there's a lot of stigma around that. Like, just like, oh, yeah, I'm clean, which begs the question of anybody who gets any positive shit is dirty. It's fine to not want an illness. I don't think people That's do. perfectly reasonable to not want an illness. It's perfectly reasonable to have boundaries in place. But like, um, but if someone, if you, if someone gets it, like that doesn't indicate that they're a bad person. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not a moral issue on their part that they got something. Because like you say, if someone was diagnosed with like diabetes, you're not going to shun them. Right. right. But if they were diagnosed with HSV or HIV or, you know, like you said, bipolar or borderline or whatever. Yeah. We're like, oh, we got to stay away from them because why? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's like, and, and I think this, like you said, this warrants a completely longer conversation, especially like chronic STIs like HSV, like HIV, that we are, we're really just like one generation removed from these illnesses being so highly stigmatized like hiv you know has has gone from being a death almost a death sentence to something chronic yeah. but treatable in, but in our lifetimes right? yeah yeah you can take prep y'all you can take prep without having hiv to like yeah no yeah if, if you I've, I've been offered prep before and i'm considering it just because yeah, yeah. um if you have like a it's risky, you know, if you're like, high yeah, risk. whenever my um partner, what, what, one of my ex partners, and he's mm -hmm. bisexual, and he was like, yeah, if I start dating a man, then I will basically do my best to make sure that everybody gets prep. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's funny because, like, they, I mean, I'm for all intents and purposes, like, the majority of the sex that I have is heterosexual, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, well, because I'm still technically high risk because I have more than one partner, one partner yeah they're like you should also you should do it yeah it yeah mm -hmm. if i could get it for free i probably would yeah that's really the issue at this point it's like prep is very cost prohibitive um but, but yeah it's, yeah. yeah it's it's a little more normalized now but people still you know <laughs> right and again and it's, it is not an issue to not want an illness like the same way i don't want covid i don't want exactly. the flu i don't want none of these things but it, it's just a fact of life that people get them and that it's not a bad thing that they do. Yeah. Right. You know, what's funny is that whenever you were talking about how to, you know, how the chain of command should go as mm -hmm. someone, if someone tests positive for an STI is mm -hmm. the same as when someone tests positive for COVID. Do y'all see the similarities, everyone? Wow. Isn't mm, let's put our thinking caps on. Huh? Hmm. Right. You got to you go back to who you've had recent exposure to. Right. You like help them navigate getting tested, potentially getting treated. Yeah. Like it, it's literally the same thing, but like it, it's it's so similar. Like it's literally the exact same process. You test positive and you tell people who you've been around. Yeah. The exact same thing. Same. And it's like, are, are you like, are you going to beat somebody's ass for telling you they got COVID? Like, no then why would you do it if it's an STI? Right. All right. Well, thank you. We're wrapping up now. And I would like for you to uh, give us your socials and any new projects that you're working on, anything that you want the people to know. Sure. So um, my Twitter handle is at go see the lady, G-E-A-U-X. C-S-E-E, -E, the lady. Yeah, it's like a therapy reference. Um, my 
Instagram is still Sexology Bay. I just, yeah, I just switch it on Twitter because I just didn't like it anymore. Um, but um, in terms of projects, I do have things in the works that I will be announcing within the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be doing a summer workshop series on different topics related to like sexuality and sexual health. I'm really excited about it. Um, I am also still open for coaching or counseling clients. Um, my contact form is on my website at sexologybay.com. Um, if you just go to like contact me, there's like an inquiry form where you can reach out to me and I can give you my rates and we can go from there and get stuff set up. I do see people of all genders, all orientations. Like I said, I mean, because of who I am as a person, my primary clientele has been mostly black women, but I do see people of all races, genders, ages, all concerns. Um, but I will do disclaimer, massive disclaimer right here. Um, while I am a licensed therapist, these sessions are not therapy. Gotta say that because don't want to get my license snatched. Um, but yes, that is all that I have. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. I, we, it sounds like we need a couple of follow-ups. We do. We do. Yeah. I'm taking notes and I'm like, yeah, definitely going to follow up about this and this. Yeah, it, it sounds like we need to we, we need to revisit and expand on a couple of things. I'm super oh, yeah. excited. This I'm has been great. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes, y'all. So, yeah, that's that on that. This episode was recorded, edited, all that shit by me, D-Ray. Full transcript can be found on this episode's page at sunnydpod.com. Theme song is by Calpin Creations. You can find me at my Facebook page, sunnyd at facebook.com slash sunnydmix. And join my for the free Facebook discussion group, sunnydpod. Find my Instagram at Sunny D Pod, my TikTok at Sunny D Mix, and my ratchet ass Twitter at Lil Wild Mix. Also, you can find me on Patreon where you can support me monetarily and get some little goodies that I cooked up for you. And you can find that at patreon.com slash Sunny D Pod. Thanks, folks. Stay foxy, y'all. <laughs>